started out as a quiet week may well turn into a big week for news when it comes to one Mr. John Ram. Will we see team news dropping this week? Plus, we've just seen the live 2024 schedule. We've had a little bit of polter time and Westy time in Camp Confidential. Plus, we're going to chat a little bit about the Sony and the Dubai Invitational. This is, of course, Golf Lovers United, where we discuss golf the fair way. I am Mark at Golf Dad UK, and I'm going to bring on two of my favorite people, two people that I would throw under the bus for a dollar and a sandwich, according to people on Twitter. And I've got to <laughs> confirm that that is absolutely bloody true, because I love a sandwich. Ben, Jay, how are you boys? You're looking very charming today. You all right? Well, I'm I'm very happy. I, I must say that we, I think why we work is that we we annoy different people. I would. I don't know if we make anyone happy, but like, as <clears throat> we get comments about me, we get comments about Jay, we get comments about you. But this week was the first time we got a proper comment about you, and, and the, the guy that went on you, I get on with him, but he went in on you big time. <laughs> Mate, I say, I say, I say all the time. It's. Uh, I said it off air just a second ago. You gotta appeal to everyone, yeah, and you gotta treat trolls with you know equity and, and equal respect and love. You know, some people are gonna be annoyed by my smug, handsome face and my high quality banter, and, and just frankly, probably this little annoying beard that I've got. And some people are gonna be annoyed by you and Jay. It's called equality, so I'm bloody in for it. I love it. So thank you uh, to Metaton Opal for, uh, frankly, just having a bit of, a bit of banter. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So welcome. See you this week. Same back time, same back channel. Jay, how are you, my friend? You're looking well today. You're looking smiley. I know it's early where you are. Is this, you must be a morning person, mate. No, I'm definitely not a morning person, but look, we've got the <laughs> day off. It's uh, Martin Luther King Day here in the United States. Um, obviously, MLK uh, stood for um, equality, nonviolence. You know, I'm trying my best to practice that, especially when it comes to the trolls and the haters um, and particularly Rory McIlroy. I'm trying to be a little bit more, a little bit more equitable towards him. I'm trying to be uh, not as violent um, as, as I us- usually am dealing with, with some of his, uh, his antics, but uh, mate, I ca- I've got to stop you. People who don't like you, you've just almost equated yourself to Martin Luther King on trying to deal with Rory. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, look, I suggest this to everyone that they all need to equate them, themselves to MLK. Here's the reason, because look, equality is a very, very important thing. Um, we could sort of go into some of the uh, the woke stuff that's sort of kind of gone off a little bit too far in one direction here in the United States. That's sort of, sort of a story for another day. Uh, but nonviolence, equality, are podcast. very, very important things that that we all need need to keep in mind. And I think this is an important day to uh, to do that. So I, w- I would highly recommend that to everyone, hater or not. That's something everybody needs to keep in mind every single day of their their lives. Um, on on MLK, which sounds a really weird thing to be saying in a golf podcast. I remember my wife and I went to Washington for our honeymoon. We did Washington, Myrtle Beach. Uh, Charleston, Savannah, Atlanta, <clears throat> all down the East Coast. I don't think enough in the UK is kind of understood or known about it. It was actually a real, a real good experience doing that and doing the monument. And it was really weird. It was a, it was a quite a brisk, cold end of March, end of March day, and it was like one degree going up on up into Martin Luther King, and the, it was it was very, very. It was a good thing to do. I enjoyed. It. I think maybe in the UK we don't quite understand 
exactly how all that went yep. down. It's what I'm here for. So, um, <laughs> no, but uh, just, educating yeah. us from all angles, my friend. This is what we respect about you. It's what we respect about you. And you are indeed the water to Rory McElroy's 18th hole tee shot. <laughs> so, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But before we do that, we're, we're, we've been talking about putting a meetup on. We're thinking about getting together and just, you know, shooting the breeze, maybe shooting some wedges and analyzing Ben's swing as we do so. And uh, we're actually going to open that, I think, to our Golf Lovers United brand ambassadors to our golf lovers, to our people in our fan zone pretty early. So if you want to get involved in that, and it also you can experience the other benefits that we put on there as well and join our other fans in our fan zone, you've got to do that over at glugc.com slash support. That's glugc.com slash support. And of course, if you enjoy this podcast and if you enjoy my work sociopath face, you can watch this over on YouTube or you can listen over on your podcast app of choice. Now, we had a bit of a, a busy week, actually. I thought it was going to be a quite a quiet one. We didn't think there was going to be much live news. We we, we think that uh, we're probably going to get a bit of Ram team news, as, as we've just heard over the last hour or two, uh, perhaps this weekend. Uh, let, let's start with that one. Ben, you, uh, well, you brought a name to the table, and then you told us that you, you think we're going to get some news sooner rather than later. So give us a bit of insight on that, mate, please. Well, I'll follow my sword first of all. I also gave you the name last week of Adam Scott going to going into the Rippers, but there appears to be a big 180 there. So uh, having been very sure that might happen, I, I, it feels unlikely now. A name we did discuss actually bizarrely on that um, Tony Finau and John Rahm pod was discuss, we discussed Wyndham Clark. And obviously the one of the good things that Liv can do is attract major winners because that way it's players playing in the majors. And it looks based on the update from Liv Golf Updates, who's been money uh, for the last couple of years on their, on their, on their inside information that Wyndham Clark will be joining, um, will be joining our good friend, uh, John Rahm in his team with Kieran Vincent and with, uh, Caleb Seward. Is it Seward? Seward? How are we saying? Seward. So right, yeah, Surratt. he's a, obviously, yeah, he plays college yeah. golf here in the United States. He's been at Tennessee. He's been uh, really big on the sort of amateur golf scene here uh, in the U.S. Really high level player that uh, it was only a matter of time before he uh, turned professional and made some noise in the professional ranks. So he's kind of in, in that uh, you know Puj Chikara sort of uh, realm, sort of in that that the same sort of college amateur player, high level player. Uh, the look, live is an important. It's something that they need to continue to do. They need to uh, continue to attract young talent and sort of uh, get uh, get them improved and, and sort of uh, release them out into the world. So, yeah, I think it should. Yeah, be so that, that leaves us then, doesn't it? So we look at the teams. Most teams complete, and we've already confirmed the the, the, the rumors and suspicions. It's going to be thirteen teams with two floating players making fifty four. We know that 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 completes John's team with Legio Legio uh, Legion thirteen. Uh, Legion, Legion 13 or mm-hmm. uh, Le- Legio 13 is, is the actual name originally. If we take that as a team there, we know that um, the Japanese player, my God, his name's slipped my brain again, is going to go into the Iron Heads, meaning that we need one in the Rippers and one in the Cliques. Everything you and I are hearing, Jay, is that it's going to be Lucas Herbert. I'll wait to see you and everything you and I had heard for five weeks was it was Adam Scott. We'd heard Adam Scott, Adam Scott, Adam Scott. Mm-hmm for five weeks but now it looks like that probably won't be the case and his end up is going to be Lucas Herbert who's a fantastic player great 
great oh. reputation and fit superbly into that team with with Leash, Smith and Jones. So it leaves you one player you need now. You need a player in the cliques and you need two players as the two roaming players. Now, I don't want to address the two roaming players because there's contract negotiations going on, but <laughs> cliques, I'm, I'm, it's the first time in a long time I'm not actually hearing anything solid. I'm hearing lots of rumours, but nothing solid. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of where I've been for a while. And this is something that I mentioned on Twitter. It's something that we talked about, touched on last week too, is that uh, we already know that there's uh, players on the way. It's just a matter of negotiations at this point. Like there's there's going to be players like, you know, uh, Terrell Hatton's certainly been out there. Uh, Tony Fino has been out there. Uh, look, We've gotten word about certain players being in negotiations. To me, Tony Finau seemed like a slam dunk, you know, uh, a month ago, just because everything made sense. Uh, you can't really account for, you know, other situations like the situation with uh, his lawsuit that may be impacting his uh, decision making process and then also maybe asking for more than Liv felt he was worth. Uh, these are all things that are that are part of the process. It's part of the reason why these things can break down at any particular point. It's part of the reason why, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of done with the speculation. I just want the rosters to be finalized here in the next you know, week or two uh, so that we can move on and we can start you know, talking about the actual season, start analyzing the teams, um, and sort of move on with our lives at that point. Uh, and also, Jay, I actually think it's the best thing for PGA Tour. Yeah. I've said this I said it a couple of weeks ago. I think the very best thing for PGA Tour, and I enjoyed this week's event. There were moments where it's a bit weird. We'll talk about that Yuan drop. But I actually think the best thing for PGA Tour is go, okay, Liv started. That's Liv's players. Let's crack on. We know who we've got. They know who they've got. Will there be an agreement? What will agreement look like? Who knows? But at least we kind of know our rosters. I think that's the best thing that can happen for the PGA Tour is them to have Liv started, Liv's roster set, and away we go. I think that'd be great for all golf, no matter whether you like PGA, Liv, both, neither, whatever you like. I think it'd be really, really good. Just feels for me, the loser in all this, again, is the, D- is the DP World Tour. Outside of that Rolex event, those fields are weak. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and I do think that this is something that the, uh, you know, it could be something, it's something that, that I floated out, out there on Twitter, how sometimes I think these moves are sort of, uh, last minute just to sort of, you know, <laughs> keep that mystery out there for as long as possible and make the PJ tour sweat over. Oh my God. Are we going to lose? Are we going to lose this, this player? Oh my God. Are we going to lose this player? And I know for a fact behind the scenes, they, they're scrambling. Anytime a name is like, Oh, this guy's definitely going. They are scrambling to like, see what they, they can do to keep that, that person. And it's kind of funny to me that, that that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes, but. Uh, you know, it is what it is. We've been going through this now for a year and a half. Um, I think that we're very close to sort of finalizing everything. The PJ Tour can start moving forward with their schedule. Liv is going to move forward with their schedule. And it sounds like the, the merger is probably going to happen sometime in the next few months. So then we can sort of move on and really start talking about the future of golf, which is something that gets me really excited. Yeah, just on that point, if assume fee now, assume uh, Herbert, uh, it, even if it was someone like Adam Scott. Having the discussions, it becomes publicised, the rumour mill starts churning, Terrell Hatton, so on and so forth. We start to see that bubbling away at the surface. The PGA, PGA Tour are scrambling, trying to do what they can to keep that person. 
have we got any insight into actually what they are doing? Like, what are they? What 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 are they able to promise? What are they able to do? What are they? What are they trying? Sure. What is the? What's that situation? Do you wanna? Have you got any insight on that? Sure. I mean, it's very clear that like, look, there uh, two of the names that that have been very very heavily rumored, you know, last year were Xander Shoffley and Keegan Bradley. It was like as soon as they were, were like, oh yeah, these two are definitely going <laughs> going over the live. You saw them with DraftKings uh, sponsorship, which DraftKings is directly tied to the PJ Tour. You see, a, a lot of these guys are getting ad, uh, additional sponsorship deals directly from PJ Tour partners. That's sort of one part of it. That's definitely part of the equation. The other part of it is. You know, they all have these, you know, charities that, that they, you know, foundations where they can get money funneled to them that, that, that's a little more, uh, it's not, um, it's more sort of under the table rather than, than like something that's like a taxable event. So, uh, it's things like, like that, that I know have been happening with, you know, a few different players that I've been uh, told directly some, sometimes by these players specifically. So, um, it's definitely some, something that's, um, out there. And I think that it's something, look, the PJ tour has to do what, whatever they've been in this battle for two years trying to keep talent. Uh, I totally understand why they've, they felt the need to do these things, just think about how much better of a golf world we would be in now. Uh, if two years ago, the PJ tour and Monaghan and all those guys at the PJ tour, just taking the, the phone call and started to, if they could see into the future and be like, you know what, instead of all of this drama we've had the last two years, uh, if we could see into the future, let's just have these discussions knowing what's potentially coming so that we could have avoided this altogether. That's my biggest gripe with the PJ tour and its leadership is that like any competent CEO or like competent leader would have seen this coming. Like we were all talking about this two, two years ago, like, Oh, this is something you're going to have to figure out. Um, and they just handled, they totally botched it. There's no, there's no getting around it. And it's something that makes me very, very upset that they didn't, uh, um, handle this the right way. And then they started to make it this like moral thing. They, they dragged the 9 11 families into it. Like this whole thing could have been avoided. And that's one of my biggest frustrations about this whole thing. They certainly acted like the incumbent. And you, you see it in so many industries. In fact, you see it in pretty much every industry. You see it with challenger banks, challenging uh, the financial institutions. You see it across the startup world. You see it in any. Any any sort of market that's ripe and ready for disruption, you see that with the incumbents anyway. You generally see them mm, dismissive, 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 offensive, 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 poo-pooing it, poo-pooing it. Oh dear, we probably need to start considering this. And it, it's a very common thing. It's just this is amplified so much because it's on the public stage. It's, you've got a, a, a raving fan base one way or the other. You've got PGA Tour fans, you've got Live fans, you've got golf fans in general that just want things to settle down. And then you've got all the players that want all ships to rise and everything's generally, you know, let's be honest, things have got better for the players in terms of the purses, for example. So it's the trajectory is actually reasonably common. And it's, but it's sort of bizarre because we're in it and you, you're watching it unfold. It's rare that it's rare that a mass of people from so many different backgrounds and different interest groups 
I can have such commentary on these things. If it's a bank, we can't really commentate on it because we, we're not in the industry, but we don't need to be in the industry. We're f- fans of it. So, yeah, very, very interesting. Now, I want to switch gears in a second to the Live 2024 schedule before we talk about the DP World Tour and the Sony event over on the PGA Tour this week uh, and a couple of other bits. But, Ben, I almost forgot to congratulate you. You had a little bit of news didn't you? For anyone watching on YouTube, have a look at Ben's hat. For anyone listening, go over to YouTube, look at Ben's hat. Tell us a bit about it, mate. You've had a big win this week. I'm yeah. very proud of you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. So anyone that anyone that's been paying attention and will have noticed I, I um this week I've announced a partnership. Um I'm very, very lucky that I'm getting my my gear supplied to me now by Sub Seventy and Eleven Golf. So Sub Seventy makers of um Drivers, irons, wedges, eleven golf. Um, are, many of you will never have heard of eleven golf. Now, eleven golf are a completely different company. They are hybrids from three through to nine. So they've got a hybrid in all those different areas. So people are going to be using different hybrids. I'm going to do some great videos. My uncle's going to come on and do one. So my wife's uncle's going to come on and do one. Older guy, slower swing, swing speed, get him on using a an eight hybrid, see how it goes. I was testing them out. It was great fun. But yes, I'm going to be using the 11 hybrids in two, um, two, three, and four. And I'm going to be using irons and wedges from sub 70. So really excited. And also a putter reveal will come in a video very soon with me and Prev doing a putter reveal. But no, really, really um, flattered and proud really to have done this. I used to get my cricket gear for free through Grey Nichols and Duncan Fernley back in back in the day. And now, and now I get my golf gear. But yeah, I, I love the Sub-70 gear. Before I signed up with them, we had a conversation and there was a discussion and I, I used it for six months. I discussed this with Jay a long time ago. I said, I don't think I could sign up with someone to get free gear if I don't rate it. So I played it for, I say six months, a slight exaggeration. I played it for five months. Um, decided, yeah, absolutely love it. Really enjoy it. So then was happy to sign up with it. So, so really excited by that. And uh, thank you to Sub70 for it. I even mentioned it in the podcast. We're going to do it. We, we got coming up in a minute later with Paul Wood. And we talk about different companies. I was actually saying about how great the Sub70 irons are because I don't use ping irons. I do use ping driver, but I was saying I use the Sub70 irons in that. So, yeah, pretty faithful to that. Really chuffed. Thank you for all concerned in doing that. And there'll be some fun content and Mark and Jay, some fun giveaways. They give me some stuff to give away as prizes and things. So that'll be interesting. We like that, my friend. Yeah, well done. We're really proud of you, mate. And it's uh, all the hard work you put into to helping the golfing community, certainly in the UK as well. It's uh, it's nice to see. So well done, mate. And it's really interesting what you mentioned about the giveaways, the meetups. We are going to do much more of that through our fan zone, glugc.com slash support. If you want to get involved over there, you can do that for five bucks a month, which over here in the UK is about £3.60. So get on it per month. It's really, really worthwhile. You will get early access to all of that stuff. And then in our equipment corner, a little bit later, we are going to be releasing that episode interview that Ben did with Paul Wood, the VP of engineering over at Ping. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, it's going to be a separate video, so you can really get to it much easier in the audio channel, in Spotify and Apple Podcasts and so on. It's going to be cutting to the end of this episode. So enjoy that. It's a deep dive and big well done to Ben on the Sub-70 partnership. Now, Jay, we've got the Live 2024 schedule. It's looking pretty good. I'm excited about the UK leg, hoping to get out there and uh, and get down there and just see as many people as we can, have a bit of fun down there. There's a few standouts in here, but 
I want to talk about number one, are you going to come over to the UK? And number two, that date in April. Yeah. So it's a great question. So um, obviously with the live schedule, I've been trying to figure out the events that I'm going to attend. I've got some conflicts kind of with, with work that I'm sort of trying to, um, <laughs> trying to sort, sort out. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get over there to the UK for, for that, that event though. That's kind of my, my number one priority. Um, um, I'm also trying to make, make it out to obviously the Doral event, uh, um, which is obviously, uh, becoming a traditional, uh, event on the, the live schedule. I, I love Doral, the blue monster. I used to, used to live in Miami. Um, I uh, played Doral a lot, practice there a lot. Their practice facility is amazing. I really love it there. Um, so yeah, I, I think that this schedule is setting up really, really interesting. Like I look, I really like the sort of cadence that they have going here. I think it, that it's really, it's, it's really sort of interesting how they, they have these like um, events scheduled where you have Mayakoba and then you have Vegas right after uh, Mayakoba. Then you have a little bit of a break then you have Hong Kong uh, and Jeddah, kind of um, another sort of uh, their back-to-back weeks, um, and then you have Miami right right before the Masters. Which um, I gotta say some, something about just comparing PJ Tour and Live. Um, <laughs> I gotta say that the Blue Monster Doral course is a much 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 better tune-up for the Masters than the Valero Texas open. It's like not even close. So um, I think that I've already gone on record to guarantee that a live player is going to win the masters. It's not really going out on a limb at this point because there's so many elite players at live net. Like you look at all of the favorites to potentially win Augusta. Like I probably say half or maybe more than half of those guys are over at live. So, so I don't really think that's going out on a limb, but uh, you you could pick between you know, Rom and uh, Kepka, Cam Smith, uh, you know a bunch of other guys, DJ. Uh, you know there's there's so many guys, uh, even Phil and Patrick Reed. Like I mean, they could easily win it too. So um, there's a lot of guys I live that that can win. But yeah, the, the schedule is coming together uh, pretty well. We still have a couple events at, at the um, end of the season uh, that have been unnamed for. for- <laughs> variety of reasons um look i i wish uh, that we didn't have this drama still with the pj tour where um all of the pj tour partners are are sort of continuing to uh provide uh provide barriers to live to sort of finalize on the schedule but um it is what it is so we obviously know we wanted to do korea it's not 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 gonna happen so you know, um, and it's a, du- a direct tie into the PJ Tour, the reason why that's not happening. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see how the end of the schedule p- uh, pans out. But, yeah, it's looking like it's going to be a really solid schedule. I'm really happy with, with the the events. And, and, yeah, trying to make make it out to uh, Miami and to the U.K. As, at a minimum. I was hoping for Vegas. That may not happen for me now. Uh, we'll have to see how that, that uh, plays out. The one thing that I find a little bit different, and, it, and it's not a criticism of Liv, and I'm not fighting to say things are right or wrong, there seems to be a big gap, big gap. 18th of August at Greenbrier, you think when we had the last event of the Liv season, in season two, was the back end of October. I was in, I was in Orlando, so 
that was the 25th ish yeah, of October. Yeah, it was like 22nd when I think it So Yeah, so 22nd. Then the team event, the individual event was two weeks before. So that was the first week in October. I can't see that it's going to be the same because if it is... They're moving it up. They're moving it up to September. Yeah, you've got to feel it's going to be Greenbrier. Then you have two weeks, the individual championship, which will be the last week in August, first week in September. And then the team championship, which will be the second or maybe at latest third week in September. Yeah, yeah I think that, that sounds about my right. Uh, the other thing we have to keep in mind, like I think those last two events are probably going to stay here in the United States. Uh, so that makes travel a little bit um, easier. But I think that they're allowing for a little bit more flexibility in case they, they want to potentially add an international one at the end. So that's why yeah, it I, been- I, I, I do. I do think, I do think there is a possibility they do Greenbrier, do an event in the U S and then there's two weeks before, after individual championship and they go set up shop overseas for a team championship. If they brought it forward in September, that brings into play a British Lynx course, Scotland or Ireland, that brings into play um, anything in sort of Spain and France. I'm not saying the Golf National, but it brings into play some big, big European... You don't want to play, Mark, you and I have played, we've had nice days in October, but you don't want to be reliant. Look at the 2010... 2010 um, Ryder Cup mm. at, at um, Celtic Manor when it rained wow. aggressively for 36 hours. You don't want to be in limbo. But by bringing it forward to mid-September, you've really got the opportunity to put something on outside of the warm Americas. Yeah, I think it's there's two things there. I think the cadence, like you mentioned, Jay, is really interesting. I like that because I think with anything, especially in its third year, where people are starting to see... For example, the team aspect, I I still have like 20% interest in the team aspect because I'm not invested in it. I'm not big into American sports. It's it's not something that I've, you know, outside the Ryder Cup and Walker Cup and, and whatever else, just never really dug into it. So I think in order to get people interested, I think that momentum is really important. So those two back-to-back weeks, then just a little bit of time off, a couple of back-to-backs, time off, a couple of back That's a lot, lot better for me because I keep the momentum and I know that, a lot of people, the general golf fans up at the club, um, a few people that I speak to at other clubs, they feel very similarly because it's a very, it feels very, very much a US thing. So I think that cadence will really work. What's interesting to me about that gap at the end? So um, after the last event, prior to the, the 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 two championships, I think if we put like the common sense hat on as well we're expecting more things to happen, aren't we? Let's be honest. We're expecting agreements to happen. We're expecting announcements to happen for players. If players come, presumably they will need teams. You know, let's let's assume that two or three big sort of tempo players come across over the next nine months. They're going to need somewhere to play. Just feels as if I'm planning the schedule. I should really probably give myself a little bit of leeway just because of, even if for nothing else, just because of that. And I think what's quite interesting with this is as well, that if you if you were to make some big signings midway through the golf season, if you were to make some big signings post-Masters, post-Open, US Open, whatever, there is absolutely nothing stopping you putting on one big flagship, one-off, 
type of event, some sort of knockout, some sort of match play event that is completely separate to anything else. Let just me go. To get you I, guys. I've got the idea. I've got the idea. If they get Wyndham Clark, oh, wait for it. They can have America versus rest of the world live edition. Oh my God. What a great Ryder Cup style event it would be. If they get Wyndham Clark, that gives them enough quality for America, the Americas. They can do the Americas or they could do a three one where they do America, Europe and rest of the world. They've got so many options. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. They could, they could do that. Yeah, it, they could, oh. it would be much better than the president's cup at this this point too because that's when I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting into that well, but yeah so no <laughs> it, it would because look now you're able to this is one of the biggest gripes that i've had about the Ryder cup and the president's cup is that it's always excluding uh parts of the world so like uh why not have i need to, to look at the rosters and sort of put that together but u.s or, or maybe north america versus the world i mean i think that could be a really really intriguing you know you could have like a brooks first rom thing you can have like there there's a, a lot of ways you can go you, you can have dj camp smith like there's a lot of ways you can go and i think it would be pretty well balanced looking at some of the rosters so uh i like where you're going there that sounds really in- interesting um uh and i i think look this is one of the exciting things about live is that it's so new there's so many things that they can do i mean people have been looking at uh, at the last year and a half, like, oh, that's how it's always going to be. And I promise you, that's not how it's always going to be. They are still really sort of testing some of this stuff out. There's a lot of ideas that there are players have, there are principles, the folks behind this, the uh, scenes that live, like there's so many ideas that they have. It's just um, a matter of when and sort of what they actually want to implement. So that's one of the things that's really cool to me, where they have a huge advantage over the PJ Tour that leans into the legacy and tradition and doesn't really lend itself to that much creativity and flexibility. And that's one of the other things that I've been leaning into that, like, I'm really glad that we have this podcast where we can get these ideas out because it's a really, really important thing that I feel like, look, Twitter's not for nuance. It just, um, it's not. (laughs) So um, there's so many great ideas floating out there. It gets me really excited as a golf fan. And those are the things that like really excite me about live golf in general. Three, three years in season three coming up. Um, I have to admit I'm getting the sense generally. So if I, if I, if I think about the casual golf, I like to say, let's use, use my club up here as, as an example. It's a McKenzie course, which means it's full of people that love golf in a really traditional sense. That's it. It is. It's that kind of course. Beautiful course. Um, live over the last 18 to 24 months has just been this, uh, you know, when, yeah, it's all right. It's nice to see Brooks playing it. Obviously, the Ram thing has really put it into the into the psyche of more people up there. But it, we know that that tide is changing. We know that people, I'm seeing people talking about it more. I'm hearing people talking about it more. I'm hearing, I think what is interesting, I'm hearing people talk about it in an integrated way. So it's not, did you see the PGA Tour? It's, We'll talk about golf and everything is fair game. You know, it's not just it's not just one or the other, which I think is a really good sign. To that end, we're in, like I said, we're in season three. One of the big sticking points, I think, for the most part, are these TV rights and the accessibility. Where's your head at on this one, Jay? I'll come to you first on this one because because I think you, you might have more insight from a US perspective, and then Ben obviously jump in anytime. But 
where where are you at and what's your sense of where live might be at when it comes to broadcast media not the youtube stuff and not the cw even generally getting this to the masses to the pga fans that tune in on a saturday and a sunday yeah and i think that's sort of one of the levels live still has to unlock uh look live has obviously been doing a lot of things uh that are brand new to the golf space and unfortunately uh, you know, golf viewers are kind of creatures of habit. That's just how, how it's always been like uh, here, here in the U S uh, I know uh, so many golf fans that look, they want to sit on their couch on a Saturday and Sunday at three o'clock. They want to turn on golf and golf uh, and golf is on, whether it be C- uh, CBS or NBC, those are, or golf channel in a lot of, um, a lot of uh, times. So that's, sort of how uh, fans are here, here in the United States. Now, if I'm live golf and I know this, there's a few things strategically you, you could potentially do to, you know, change that. You know, I floated it out there that I felt like, you know, one of the chess moves, and I don't know if this is actually going to going to happen, but I was talking about this, you know, a year, year and a half ago. It's like, why wouldn't the PIF, uh, consider buying golf channel here in the United States. Like it's, it's certainly something like that would, would be like a chess move. And I'd love to see just Brando Shambly just like squirm about that though. <laughs> and Eamon Lynch too. That'd be really, really interesting step. Uh, now I don't know if that's going to act- actually happen, but it, it's like, if I'm live, it's like, I know that like one of the goals that I have is to uh, get live in front of more um, eyeballs. And, you know, CW is, one of those steps, I think that they're testing out the next couple of years on CW, sort of see how that goes. Except with this merger, um, I can definitely see some doors opening to, uh, you know, these other uh, really big networks here in the United States, where, uh, like I talked about it in my solo podcast, how that's one of the really, really big assets that the PGA Tour brings to the table is, are these media rights and their TV contract. There could easily be a situation where you have a really big live event that's part of this sort of global series that they want to promote and sort of put out there on, on Front Street, put it on CBS, put it on NBC, put it on one of these really big channels. Because I have already said, if you put live on one of those channels, the Ratings are going to be comparable with any P, uh, uh, PJ Tour event, and it um, and if it's a live event that has all of the the best players, it will do better than most PJ Tour events. So I think those are sort of the next steps that Live has to get to. I don't know how long that's going to take. Obviously, the merger is going to uh, tell us a lot about about that. How fast this is actually going to happen. So uh, those are kind of the next things that I kind of see ha- happening with live here in the United States when it, when it comes to a broadcast. But again, the, these are all uh, uh, sort of speculative and, and uh, we'll have to see what sort of happens here the next year. I think what annoys me, like I, I, I don't disagree with you. I know that you and I've not got quite the same view on some of that. Um, I think, but what, what annoys me is when you get people saying, Oh, well, they show it on an app. <laughs> what you mean? Like, I mean, like the NFL in the UK. So if you want to watch the NFL in the UK or you want to watch it in Europe, yes, you can watch some of it on Sky Sports if you want to pay 60 quid a month, 70 quid a month for Sky Sports, a typical package in the UK, you can watch the NFL. 
Or you can download the DAZN app, which is what I've done, and I can watch as much NFL as I want. I think it's £9 a month. Maybe it's £11. I can't remember. So why is it why is it me watching NFL through an app incorrect, correct and acceptable, but watching golf through an app? Oh, it's on YouTube. It's on, oh, you can't take it seriously. It's on YouTube. What, you mean the most viewed media channel in the entire world? I read a report that you could take every single sports broadcast put together at one time and it'll be 25 to 1 people watching anything on YouTube. No, not a sport, but that's the that's the user base of YouTube. For people to just diminish and live because it's on YouTube is, is bizarre. And also, let's look at the PGA Tour. How do they distribute their golf now, Jay? They use apps like Peacock and other things. Like It's just... I mean, yeah, it just it just yeah. grates on me a little bit. That oh. it's just such a weird thing to say, uh, uh, for sure. And um, as someone that's consumed golf on apps here in the United States, like I promise people, the Live Golf Plus app is far far better than any of these other apps that we have <laughs> here in the United States. Between you know Peacock and ESPN Plus and like all these other things, like Live Golf Plus is just a superior product in my personal estimation so uh look i want them and i know live is always going to keep this in app because i I think that's like key to uh, continue to unlock this uh, sort of younger demographic um i just think at this point you need to hit all four corners you need to uh get as many sort of people viewing live as possible and sort of continue that sort of upward trajectory the next few years um and unfortunately broadcasts uh here in the united states is still a really important thing. And it's some, something that at least it, it, uh, it will be for the sort of uh, foreseeable future in the near term, uh, long term, that, that may not be the case. So, you know, but I'm, I'm talking more like post 2030, things could be totally different in this uh, particular space. So again, we'll, we'll have to see how things play out there. I do understand that the legitimacy question though, uh, around something it's, it's, it's like, I can put music out on Spotify. We three could put out our Backstreet Boys cover over on Spotify. Dead easy. Super simple. Uh, we could stick it on YouTube, do what we want. Um, everyone would buy it. It'd be fantastic. We'd, we'd probably retire from doing this because it'd be that good. But a lot of people would still say, you've not got a record deal though, have you? Which is surprising. But that's that's the thing. I think it's... The broadcast media is still the benchmark. And I, I think if you're right, Jay... If you consider that the job of live is to get into as many eyeballs as possible, and if the if the if the shtick around let's grow the game is genuinely a target, then broadcast has you, you can't you can't grow the game by discounting the baseline, and the baseline is broadcast. So yeah, I understand your perspective on that, Ben, but I also I do see the flip side of that where it's it's a legitimacy thing. Yeah, it's very it's, it's very putting much, it in uh, the is putting it out in a, in a more yeah. traditional way. I know, and frictionless as well. Though it's it's I don't have to sign it up on your TV. Top. It's there. Yeah, yeah it's I get there it. And I do get it. Thing. I, of course, I get it, and I understand it. I just think that to belittle it because it's uh, it's using an app is bizarre. When the NBA has an app, the NFL has an app, the NFL transfers their rights to other people's apps. It just yeah, seems yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the bit that grates me. Would I like to see it get a big TV deal? Yeah, of course we would for accessibility. I, and I, that's the biggest problem. And, I, and again, being, if I wanted to be a bit critical of live, people don't know how to get it. That's the huge thing. The friction's massive. I think a lot of people don't understand how to view live. They might be able to, uh, yeah, but I t- I'm so used to turning my TV on, it's not on there. So, well, 
If you've got an Amazon Fire Stick, yeah, well, just download um, the Live app. Oh, I can't be bothered. And it's like, oh my God, that's one step. All you've got to do is you've already got the tech either in your TV or in your Fire Stick. All you've got to do is download the app. That, as you say, Mark, that's the friction point. That's the barrier to entry. Th- that that could be overcome with a deal. But equally, it could be overcome by people just wanting to overcome it. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. is, And so I think that comes back to the product as well. It's got to be compelling for for more people. So it's compelling right now for, for the nucleus of fans. You, I think what you do over season three is you add another layer of, of, of people being compelled by it, the, the more casual viewer, and then more another layer season four and five and six. And suddenly there's this critical mass, which then leads to broadcast because the numbers stack up and suddenly I don't have to log in. So it's, you know, I don't have to fire, plug my fire stick in, go to the app store, download the app, sign in, fire up a QR code, create a password, watch whatever, whatever else, you know, there's none of that. So it's, this is part of the journey. I mean, it, it, you see it with everything. You see it, look at the darts. We saw that in the UK, Luke Littler has a stormer. Suddenly the darts is all over the news. It's on um, Sky Sports Ultimate HD. When's it ever on dart? On the darts ever on the, on the prime time Sky Sports Channel in the UK, very, very rarely compared to other sports like soccer and, and, and so on. So same sort of thing, compelling enough. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. Remember, we are going to switch out. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can go and check out that interview with Ping's VP of Engineering, Paul Wood. And if you're listening via audio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or glugc.com, we're going to cut that interview in to the end of this episode. But we're going to finish up with... <clears throat> A couple of tours, DP World Tour, the Dubai Invitational, where the man Tommy Fleetwood pipped, absolutely pipped Rory McIlroy at the post. But we can't discount the fact that Rory, uh, I like to call it pulled a mark, snap hooked it into the water uh, straight away. So we're going to talk about that and obviously the Sony as well, uh, because we had a, a, a very interesting winner when we consider everything that's gone on over the last year. So, uh, you guys, did you watch the Dubai Invitational? Jay, you know, you're a big Rory fan. <laughs> yeah, people come, come to me for the the um, anti-Rory comments, for sure. I know people on, on Twitter were, were, were sort of surprised that I was more supportive of Rory than I usually am. Look, I I need to be very, very clear, clear about this. Like, I am firm but fair in my critiques. This is not something where I'm uh, going to body bag Rory from here in, until the uh, end of time. Like I, uh, I've been following him from the beginning of his career. Like I'm one of those people that can actually critique his game because I, I know his game inside and out. So there were, there were definitely sort of three things that sort of happened that final round that, that were sort of cause for alarm and concern, especially when it comes to the major season, because there's these things that keep, seem to sort of pop up at various times where it's like not sure if his uh, mental game is sort of all the way there in order to like actually win a, a major here in uh, uh, the next year. Like I'm, I'm not sure. Like he made a couple crucial, really poor swings with four irons, like second round, he hits a four iron in the water. He, he makes a quadruple bogey, uh, uh, a final round, Four iron pulls it left, hits it in the water on on six. He winds up making bogey, uh, you know. And then obviously eighteen, he's trying to hit a, a big swooping draw because he wanted to carry this bunker that's on the right right side of the fairway. He winds up overcooking it, goes in the water, uh, makes a bogey. 
He makes bogey again. These things add up. Like if you start uh, uh, to like analyze this and, and you're like, man, if he had just like eliminated those mis- mistakes, he probably would have won by five, six, seven shots. Like he was clearly the the best player in that that particular field. Like he should have won this tournament. And there were something, there were some bad things there for sure, but there was a lot of good stuff. Like I think that his wedge game is dialed in. I think his wedge game looked probably as, uh, as good as I've seen it for a long time. Like he was really, really impressive. And he was actually making a fair amount of putts outside of that. Best, best I've seen his short game yeah. in a long yes. time. Um, uh, outside of that three, three putt from two feet, which was definitely not a good look, but (laughs) I also think when you get on some of these greens, Bermuda greens, where you have, you know, these, these little subtle breaks, I just think that he, um, I compared it to Jordan Spieth at Kapalua. Like he just like, um, overreads putts. He's sort of his speed on uh, shorter putts. He's just like hitting it through any break that there is. And then he winds up three putting from two feet on, uh, fast greens. Like it is what it is. I don't think that was necessarily like a choke or anything like that. Uh, because trust me, if Rory McElroy chokes, um, I will be the first one out there on front street saying that he did. Um, I don't see this necessarily as that because this one felt a little different than some of the other ones that I felt like were. A little bit more, you could sort of put in that sort of choke category. Um, I think that he played really well. I just think it's one of those things, like it's very difficult to win any event throughout professional golf. It's just not easy to do. Tommy Fleetwood said it um, uh, uh, in his sort of trophy presentation, and he uh, posts about it on social media. Like winning's just very, very difficult, and you have to do – you not only have to do all these things well – you also have to not make the critical um, errors, which is something that it's the reason why Augusta National is such a great test. That back nine at Augusta, there are so many places where you just have to not make critical errors, especially if you're in the lead. That's something that um, every Rory McIlroy fan out there needs to keep in mind. Like uh, when he gets to the Masters, there's so much scar tissue now that like just like creeps up in these events. It's going to be really interesting to see how he plays the next three months. If he learns from this and he's like, look, this is something that happened. I'm going to put it in the past. And he comes out and wins this week um, in uh, uh, the Dubai Desert Classic. Like, hey, that's a win. So I think we'll we'll just have to have to see how things play out. But uh, yeah, there there was some good stuff. There was some some really bad stuff, um, and we'll have to see how he rebounds here here in the next few weeks. But I think that he's going to be fine. I think he's playing well. So yeah, it seems that way. And he 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 mentioned that he tweaked his schedule as well. He was talking about that on the um, on on the podcast that he did with Gary Neville that we talked about when he 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 sort of publicly did the one eighty on live. He was talking about just sitting down with his team, tweaking the schedule, looking at how he tends to peak like a month before the Masters and then again later on in the year and just looking at how he might be able to shift that up. So very, very interesting times. But I, I think it was credit to Tommy as well. Tommy Tommy gets a rap for being a bit of a choker, on, on, on certainly on the last day when he's got a lead. Um, but to his credit, regardless of what Rory did, he he's still birdie-birdie. He still played very, very well. He he He... Yeah, he he did so well with that one, and it was nice to see them both supporting each other as well. You know, you could tell the, the last Ryder Cup that they played on, 
um, seems to have forged a bit of a bond there. So really, really interesting to see that one. Um, who came last, Ben, on the the the, the oh, Dubai Invitational? Was it in Ken Waynard? Uh, Ken Waynard. Ken uh, really quick about Ken Whalen. Yeah, he's the general manager at the Grove, this is, uh, which is Michael Jordan's chorus down in uh, Jup- uh, Jupiter, Florida. Uh, look, this is one of those sort of golf deep state invites that sort of happens. <laughs> like, um, I, I know several members at the Grove, which is part of the reason why I know who he is. And like, I know sort of some of the backstory behind why he got invited. So you just have to look into who are who are some of the members at the Grove, uh, who runs this particular DP World Tour event, those relationships. It's very clear he got into this um, uh, through his relationships with the people that run the event in Dubai. Luckily, uh, the OWGR tweaked their points so that everybody in the the very bottom sort of 10 to 15 of this field is not getting OWGR points because that would have been a really bad look. And that would have made me really, really mad. So I'm glad that he's not getting points for finishing. He literally finished like 72 strokes behind Tommy Fleetwood, like crazy. Uh, didn't break 80 the, the entire time. Uh, look, he's, I know he's a good player, but it's like, yeah. Jay, none of this matters. World Tour got this wrong. I don't care whether he's the best friend, best friends with Jesus Christ himself, right? There are players who've played on the European Tour and grind, and we had one of them on here as a guest. We had one of them as a guest who all they want is to get an invitation to these events for a tour they've supported for 15, 20 years, yeah? Because they get guaranteed money. Ken earned 7,288 euros for turning up, finishing DFL, 53 or 58 over. It's absolutely criminal. I'm glad Ken had a nice time. That's good for Ken. But what about the 25, 30 golfers that didn't get their invitational list, that need to rely on this money to make money for their families, to pay their caddies, to pay their jobs? Some bloke gets an invite because he's a mate, he's mates with Jordan. Now, I love MJ. Christ, I will never not pick MJ over LeBron. There is, he is the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm an MJ homer. You know, I've got two pairs of Jordan's golf shoes. But just because you're Jordan's mate doesn't mean you should be able to take money out of the mouth of a family for a European tour stalwart. And I don't just mean Stu came on our show. I mean, any of the people, first reserve, second reserve, third reserve, they earned that spot in their loyalty to the tour. And it was given to some mate of someone else. It's disgusting. Uh, yeah, this this gets, gets me a little, little fired up, up too, because look, every single big event... Uh, a professional event has the sponsors invites that like uh, could literally be given to anyone. So like everyone that, that like slagged off, you know, Chase Kepka and like slagged off James Pyatt and like the uh, Siwan Kim, the guys at the, at the bottom of live, like um, every single tour has these, this has been some, something going on for forever. There's been favoritism for cert- certain players and it is what it is. It's, um, it isn't really fair, but it's like, it is what it is too. Like this is a, a new event on the Europe, European tour schedule. The people that, that run it uh, are, are very close to Rory McIlroy. I'm sure Rory got a very, very hefty appearance fee for playing in this event. Um, um, and look, it just is what it is. Like, I, I wish this is something that could be sort of 
figure it out. Uh, but it, it's like, look, as long as uh, there's people running these events that want certain players in their events, that's just how it's going to be going to be. It's not fair, but it's like, no, really golf isn't fair either. So, you know, Mark, before we go, I've, I've done it right. I've done, I've done the live team event into team. We're not event. going yet, mate. We've got oh. shit to talk about. I'm excited though. I want to, I want to get it out. This guy's wild, Jay. We need to get rid of him. I'm going to get half a sandwich if we sell this guy out and now we'll take 50 cents quarter each. We'll be fine. Do they not call that an open sandwich? <laughs> no, they do. They, yeah, they do these days, don't they? One of those deconstructed sandwiches that you pay like double bread. the price for. Right. <laughs> rest, of the, rest of the world team, Cam Smith, Louis Eust- eight three eight-man teams. Rest of the world, Europe and USA. So rest of the world, Cam Smith, Louis, um, Munoz, Neiman, Ortiz, Mito, Anibar, and Dean. That's the rest of the world team. Strong. Rest European team, Ram, Garcia, Peter, Shikara, Puge, Bland, Casey, Poulter. Hear me out. I ain't playing a team event in match play, but not having Ian Poulter. If he's available, he's playing. He's on the plane. He's 100%. coming. USA, Bryson, Brooks, DJ, Gooch, Reed, Clark, Varner. And then you get a real pause to who takes that eighth spot. I've given it to Chucky Three Sticks because he did have a good year last year. You could argue that Tringale finished better. You could argue that, that Bubba's got a bit of flair or Phil or Matt Wolf if he comes back to his normal form. But that eighth spot for was, went, went to Chucky Three Sticks. That, please tell me, live execs, please be listening, that the middle of October you're going to do an international team event. I'm so excited. So wait, you're thinking three teams of eight rather than, I thought you were going to do two teams of 12 and just do sort of USA or sort of North America versus the world. So you're, you're thinking three teams. Yeah, I think unlike yeah, you you could have a super strong team if you combined Europe and the rest of the world, but you'd, I'd argue that would be so so strong. Let's say you'd go Ram, Shikara, Puge, Peters, Smith, Ustazen, Neiman, Mito. You've got you've got that rest that that Europe. Sorry, America versus the rest of the world. Rest of the world's just too strong. I don't know about that. I wouldn't say say that. Oh, I, I think we could up. definitely do. I think that the U.S. team. Uh, look, you got a U.S. team that's like you know got uh, DJ Patrick Reed, Brooks Koepka, Bryson. Like, I mean, come on. Like, you could put that team and like you know uh, pretty much anyone and <laughs> anyone else on that team, and they're, they're going to be pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there, there's a, a lot of different different ways they can go, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to see if that's some, something that comes comes about. But I like where, where, where it really at. becomes where it really becomes different is if you do do two teams of twelve because the USA doesn't have that depth that Europe and the rest of the world would have. That that really becomes quite quite spicy for having two teams. Right, sorry, Mark, I've hijacked it, but anyone who's watching on YouTube will have realised I was typing while you two were talking, so I was desperately trying to work this out. <laughs> it's not like you to hijack either, mate. It's not this part. It's part of your charm. It's why people like you so much because you're so. What, what's the word? Fiery. You're a fiery character, man. You That's should what see we some, like. of the, some of the replies I get. Not everyone likes me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mate, trolls don't exist. We know that. Now, we are going to wrap in just a couple of moments, but uh, a couple of things just to remind you of. Number one, we are cutting in. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or at glugc.com, we're going to cut in that fantastic interview 
that Ben did with Ping's VP of Engineering, Mr. Paul Wood. And it's a it's a really, actually a really interesting interview for the Geeks Amongst Us, which we all are inevitably because we're all into golf. So check that out. If you're watching this on YouTube, that's a separate video. So just in this very same playlist, check that out. It'll be right next to this particular one that you're watching uh, right now. And remember those meetups that we're putting out, they are going to start to be trickled out into the world. First and foremost, to our fan zone members. You can get involved from just five bucks a month at glugc.com slash support. And we're going to wrap up then, boys, by saying a massive congratulations to one Grayson Murray, who, like all good golfers, took the advice of just play better and went and won nearly $1.5 million. So, uh, Fair play, Grayson Murray. What do you make of that one, Jay? Uh, yeah, it was it was great. I'm going to cede most of my, my time here to uh, to Ben. Um, I did watch the last uh, sort of few holes of this. I was definitely rooting for Grayson Murray. Look, it's very public at this this point that Grayson Murray and Rory had a bit of a confrontation at uh, one of these uh, sort of player uh, <laughs> player meetings with the PGA tour board right after the, the merger was announced. And, and I heard that these two almost came to blows um, in uh, some, some ways. Look, Grayson Murray is a very fiery guy. I respect that. I like that. Um, and Rory just like said the wrong thing to sort of to piss him off. And I don't think he was having it. And, I'm 100% taking Grayson Murray in that matchup for sure. Um, But yeah, I think it was really interesting. Uh, I was glad to see uh, uh, Grayson Murray win. Uh, Sony Open, uh, you know, it's a a legacy event. It's never really had that strong of a field. So it's like, it's not like Kapalua where I'm expecting to have all the best players there. Like this was kind of one of those, you know, second or third tier PGA Tour events. So uh, it was a good good tournament though. I enjoyed the, uh, the last few holes in the playoff. Look, I, I, Grayson Murray also had a massive row with Kevin Nah. Grayson Murray does seem like a the type of guy who can pick a fight in an empty room. Look, um, well done on the win. Great to see him back uh, getting a win. I like to think it's nice anyone to get their win in. But <clears throat> excuse me, Keegan Bradley doing aim point over a two foot putt. Just put it in the hole, mate. Literally stood over a putt. For seven yeah, but look at Rory. If Rory had done aim point, he wouldn't have missed. <laughs> yeah, I love this. Look, that is like the opposite end of the spectrum. What a week for that. I absolutely agree with you as well, mate, because you feel like just saying to Rory, just hit the thing, mate. So I'm, I'm with you on it. But in the week that Rory did that, it's just hilarious. I love it. I'm an aim point, um, oh. aim point guy, so I will I will defend aim, uh, aim point. Some people take it too, too far. I can completely agree, but it's like – you can do aim point in a very, very small amount of time and not negatively impact time. I like the way Especially you've all bought into this, Sorry, you've all bought into his aim point. This guy made it up himself to charge you a boatload of cash. You're like, it's rubbish. Just putt the ball. I've said it before. The best putters in the world get over the ball with a normal grip, hit it in the hole. If you've got an, anyone who's got a different grip or holds it in a weird way, gets their fingers up. They're not naturally good putters. I know they're trying to find a way, but the best putters have just got over the ball, looked at it, hit it in the hole. I know I'm being a bit inflammatory, Jay, and it's just to wind you up. Right. Yeah. Keegan Bradley, gets, that was ridiculous. He gets a partnership. He gets a partnership, gets his new hat, <laughs> thinks he's Jack Nicholas. Look, he got over a ball and did it. Didn't see <laughs> Jack didn't it. see Jack getting his fingers up and counting off Can't different steps and oh. 
if Jack was James, putting on a green, if he was putting on on green speeds that were a twelve, third, thirteen on on the step, he probably would have had to figure some something else out too. So you know, it's it's just a, it's a it's a different generation. Look, you have to get some advantages wherever you you can, and I think that feeling the line with your feet uh, is a huge, huge advantage. Like it's totally changed the way that I read putts. So you know, for what it's worth, right. I've had enough to talk about aim point. For what it's worth, I don't like aim point. I like golf to be quicker. A good game is a quick game. Um, Keegan Bradley, don't do that again. It's ridiculous. I love Keegan. I said it's before 11, but that's ridiculous. Um, Carl Gwan's drop. I don't, I, I found myself agreeing with the fried egg and no laying up for the first time. Hell must be freezing over. There's a video of the ball going over the spectators, sp- sponsor stand into the middle of the world, off the edge of the world, sorry. And he was given a free drop. Like, oh, we couldn't locate the ball. Well, if you can't locate the ball, the ball is lost. lost. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, wh- where's the free drop? Yeah. Correct me wrong, but that, that sponsored area, it didn't have special privileges. And there was no local rule. Mm. Even if it's red staked, he's still going to have one shot. It was absolutely insane. Yeah. I don't understand that rule. And it could have, because he was right in the hunt, it could have it changed the whole tournament. One last shout out. Has Russell Henley got one of the nicest, most underrated swings ever? I'm not a big Russell just, Henley guy. I, I don't like his swing either. It's, it's just, just the tempo on him. The tempo on him is just lovely. Okay, look, it's just like, you know, it's very subjective. I have swings that I like that maybe other people don't. So look, I'll, I'll give you Rus- uh, Russell Henley. It's fine. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his swing, but, you know, it is what it is. And lastly on that event, it's a shame to see so few big names in it. We're not going to hash that up. We know what's happened. But if we look back to three years ago, how much better would that event have been if um, Jay Monaghan had said, yes, you're welcome to play on Live and on the PGA Tour, but you can't play in our, our, our top events, but you can play in four other events on the PGA Tour. I'm not saying that. Anything else, I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm just saying, imagine if five or six of the big names on Live had played in that event because they were able to. That was how Jay got his big players there was by letting people play in some of the lower events on the on the totem pole. You could have had you had four, three, four, five big name Live players there. It would have been a completely different event. Yeah. Just going to say it. Certainly something that maybe they could for do, the, for sure. Yeah, maybe one for the future there. Great idea, man. We are going to stick a pin in it right there. Stick around if you're on the audio-only version because we are going to cut in that fantastic interview with Paul Wood, VP of Engineering at Ping. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. You can find that video right next to this one on our channel. Ben, Jay, always a pleasure, boys. We'll see you next week for some more of this good stuff. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Uh, same yeah it was a great uh great show as always thank you thank you guys uh just a quick shout out to uh to nike and TaylorMade. i'm still waiting for my uh partnership money to come through um i know nike you're reducing your golf uh footprint i know you have all these economic indicators saying that computer uh <laughs> consumer spending is going down and that's why you're reducing your uh footprint but look if you want to send, send me a few dollars you know feel free I have got absolutely no doubt, my friend, that the check is in the post from probably Phil Knight himself. Now, that's been a fantastic chat. Really, really enjoyed that as always. We're going to leave you now with a wonderful interview with 
the VP of engineering at none other than Ping. Enjoy this short chat that Ben had with the wonderful Paul Wood. Ladies, gentlemen, and well, so we've got some non-gentlemen followers that follow us based on some responses we get to some of the videos. Um, I am joined today by the Vice President of Engineering at Ping, Paul Wood. Hello, Paul. How are you? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm doing well. It's good to see you, mate. It's been uh, quite a long time. Yeah. So for people who are hearing that weird American accent coming out of my friend's mouth, Paul used to sound like I do, because Paul and I are both from a town, well, the smallest city in England, Hereford, and then you left us and went to America and now um, are the vice president of one of the biggest golf manufacturers in the world and have no longer got this accent. That's true. That's true. And now the accent's about halfway across the Atlantic. I'm not really belonging anywhere. You sound like a Hallmark film. You don't You don't sound full American. You don't sound full English. You sound like some really, really beautiful, homogenized, like Hallmark accent from one of those classic Christmas movies where the guy goes to the small town for an escape and falls in love, which is essentially what you did. <laughs> Pretty close. I don't think anyone's uh, described my accent as beautiful before. I like that. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> well, uh, um for those that don't don't know, and if you will, Paul and I um, known each other for many, many years. We uh, grew up in a city called Hereford. Paul was, in fact, the person who I played my first or second. Uh, I say round of golf. It was a it was a nine hole um, session at Brockington Golf Club with you, me, and Jack and your dad. No way! I was I was better to tell the story that I think we also had our first. Um, adult game of cricket together i think my day did my debut for the men in men's cricket age 14 coincided with your debut aged about 10 or 11 because yeah. someone didn't show up when you were you were the substitute fielder it was yeah. you you was harold wasn't it that was it that was yeah it. you was harold you was harold because it there's there's the photo that goes around on social media every now and again of of you and your dad and my dad at webley when i was 10 and i wasn't yet playing for the men's team and then the next season i was and it was yeah it was, um, it, it, and, then, and my dad loves to tell the story about the time that he um, broke your mother's collarbone on the Tuesday and um, blacked your eyes on the Saturday. <laughs> I've got a few battle scars from uh, from, from that cricket team. <laughs> yeah. I do have yeah. some people listening in America who are trying to figure out what U.S. Harold might be. Yeah, U.S. Harold is a small village on the outskirts of Herefordshire on the Welsh border. Um, yeah, you you were you were great. You were we'll talk about golf and ping and all that. That's what we want. But you were you were a very accomplished multidiscipline sportsman. You were a good cricketer, good hockey player. You've played international hockey representing the USA, which made me very sad as you switched allegiance. But hey, well done anyway. And you and you've played golf to a good standard as well. So you, sports always been in your blood, isn't it? And for dad was the same. And you grew up with a sporty father. Yeah, yeah. Dad was a really good football player in particular. And then when he retired from football, he wanted to try some other sports. And so he was interested in cricket and he was in, he was the reason I got into golf. He wanted, he said, I want to learn golf and I need someone to play with. So, so I got roped in, but, but yeah, I've always liked loads of sports. Like you said, I'm, I'm good at quite a few sports without having ever been great at any of them. But it's a pleasure that I was able to make a career in sport because I, I wasn't going to do it as a professional sports player. So it's kind of nice to, to do it, watching other people play good sport. But we played and a lot of cricket together, didn't we? We did play a lot of cricket together. And obviously it was one of those things that 
you you going you being sort of three and a half four years old to me and going off to university kind of stopped that so you stopped us playing more together I think I would have been 14 you would have been 18 going off to St Andrews and that kind of gets in the way then of of, of playing of playing anymore together we had, we had some really good fun years playing and obviously your, your 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 amazing late mother was was a teacher and she gave you that thirst for education which is why you were not only a good sportsman but you were a annoyingly like a straight A student and it so you, you were able to do both and then ended up taking those straight A's getting great A levels and you end up at St Andrews University so some might say that where you went to university kind of the future was was already written right yeah maybe maybe there's certainly um I mean I, I visited St Andrews when I was looking at universities and just fell in love with the town it wasn't just the golf part of it was kind of taking a stroll down the beach to walk towards towards the middle of town and just how, just how cool a place it is. But, but now that I've been in the golf industry for a long time, there's a lot of people who are jealous. I spent seven years living in St. Andrews and playing the courses for free. It's a great place. It really is. And you, and it was important there is that you didn't go to St. Andrews university to become the vice president of engineering at Ping. You went actually to do, something quite different in the world of science. Do you want to just give a, <laughs> yes. so it will blow people's minds. You, you now, you now design what I call as one of the greatest cheating sticks in the world. That, that 430 is ridiculous. You can hit it off the toe or the heel and it still ends up straight. Um, so apart from your witchcraft of club face design, what were you intending to do? Oh, I don't like everyone else going to university, or at least like 99% of people. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I think if you told me that I could make a living working on engineering golf clubs, I would have thought you were an idiot. Um, but I went to do mathematics and, and mathematics and economics was what I initially went to study. And then I switched to mathematics and philosophy and I had grand visions of being a philosopher or something, you know, like 18 year olds do. Um, but I was always good at mathematics and got offered a chance to stay there and study, just focus on mathematics. And I ended up spending three years doing a PhD on solar flares, uh, which are basically huge explosions like volcanoes on the sun, huge source of, um, energy spikes. It's what causes things like the Aurora Borealis and stuff like that. Um, and it was great. I really enjoyed it. I loved doing mathematics. I didn't dream that you could apply that to sport and then it was sort of coming towards the end of that that i as we as we mentioned i love sport and i thought how could i find a way to do research but still be in sport and i at the time i didn't think that was even possible in something like cricket i didn't think it was really possible in football soccer um and but golf i thought you know i bet the golf companies might want a mathematician and that's what happened i wrote I wrote old fashioned kind of wrote off to a few golf companies and it just happened that Ping were sort of looking for a mathematician and uh, came across me. I think, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great story of don't make assumptions of what you can do. Just do things and see what happens at times. So I think carefully planning out there will be, there will be people listening to this that, they're not angry, but they're jealous of that story because they wanted to work for Ping, TaylorMade, whoever else it might be. And they tried to go a certain way and, and have never, have not got where they wanted to be. And I think your story is a great example of be a great sportsman, understand sport, understand being part of a team. That's always great for being an employee and part leader. 
And then you just did so well at school and then you went to a great university and applied yourself and then just kept, kept going. And I think so many people could do so well just to go, actually the vice president of engineering didn't go to university to do golf club engineering. You, you weren't, you weren't an engineer and a physics major looking at how different types of metal offset against each other at different speeds. I know that doesn't make sense in what you do, but you know, the, the grand scheme what I'm trying to say is that oh, right. some people have done that. Yeah, no, and I, it's not lost on me how privileged a position this is. There's a lot of people that would dream of being golf club designers or golf club engineers and, and not that many get to do it. Um, you know, every now and again, I get that imposter syndrome that, you know, <laughs> are there other people more deserving? We probably, probably all get that at some point, but my biggest advice would be get, get good enough at something to have a skill that people need. And in my case, being good enough at mathematics. And fortunately, most people hate mathematics and would much rather have someone else do it for them. Um, and so, so for me, that was the way in was having a skill that the ping felt like they needed and was useful. And then now I've been there a long time. I don't do a lot of mathematics. I do a lot more strategizing and managing and, and all that, but, but it was the being good at mathematics that got me the foot in the door. So you got the foot in the door. You went to, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a podcast called the society of golf historians. It's um, run by a guy called Connor. Yeah. I, I love it. Fantastic. And he, he's, he's got a real affinity with ping because he actually really loves the ping story and about Carson. Do you want to just give the viewers who's not maybe aren't golf geeks, everyone who w- watches this knows I'm a golf geek. I get golf books for Christmas about course design. You even sent me a beautiful cor- a course design book ages ago. I can't remember what it's called, but I've got that at home and you sent that to me in the post. Yeah. So yeah. non-golf geeks, let's just do... How did we go from ping not existing to creating the putter? And then maybe can we do two, three minutes on perimeter waiting and why that was such a big thing in the development of ping and irons? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. So Carsten Solheim was an engineer from Norway who moved to the US when he was very young. So he he was an engineer in, in the US. He actually worked for... General Electric, uh, among other things, had quite a long career before he even thought about golf. Um, and, and there's a book called Carsten's Way that kind of describes Carsten's life. So I don't need to go into all the details, but he was, he was a businessman and an engineer. He, he'd be in sales. He, he actually, his name is on the original patent for the little bunny ears that would go on top of TVs in the old days, like the little antennas. Um, he also worked on like landing gear on planes. So he kind of worked on all sorts of different things and started playing golf. This would have been the 1950s and wasn't great and particularly wasn't great at putting and found it frustrating and basically was like, I think I could do a better job of designing a putter based on some engineering principles. That was, that was his idea was like, I feel like, like I'm never hitting it perfectly and the worse I hit it, the worse results get. And maybe I can make it more forgiving, forgiving meaning in his case, when I hit it off the toe and the heel, I get more similar results. It like minimizes the damage for me. So his original idea was I'm going to take instead of potters at the time were very much a craft and they were blades, like true blades. Um, they look great. They were a craftsman's thing but they weren't using any engineering principles whatsoever. And his, his, they were just strips of metal, weren't they? They were just strips of shaped metal. And then similar to irons were the same, right? Irons were forged muscle back blades that were 
beautiful looking. I mean, they still look cool now, but they weren't applying a ton of engineering principles to like what happens when you slightly mishit it. And, and so his original idea, the one a putter was, he just said, well, I'm going to, instead of having all the weight along a blade, I'm going to take two hunks of metal, put them at either end and then have a face in between them. And he actually made it so you could hit it right or left-handed. So the one a looks like a kind of tuning fork, it's two sheets of metal and then most of the weight on the heel and toe. And the more you, the principle is moment of inertia. The more you spread the weight out, the more now when you hit it off center, it doesn't twist as much. A moment of inertia is like a resistance to twisting. So if I take my phone, right, and when I hit it in the middle, everything's great, nothing twists. But if I hit it out here, now that happens, right? And the more I put the weight on the outside, if I take yeah. the phone and put the weight on the outside, it just won't twist as much when I hit off center. That applies to pretty much every golf shot you've ever hit in your life because it almost never comes right out of the middle. You say almost never. Almost never. Never. <laughs> no, everyone, this is why golf's great, right? Because everyone can think of a shot they hit not that long ago where like, that was perfect. Now I just need to do that again. And it's what keeps you coming back, isn't it? But yeah, it's, it's, it's when you have, it's when you have that run of, so what do you play off of these days? I play off a streaky eight. Okay. So I play off a, I play off a, a very streaky eight and a half, nine. <laughs> there you go. Like, I, I've had some fives recently. I've had some twelves, fifteens recently. Like it's a very streaky eight and a half, nine. But when you're in that groove and you hit, you go driver eight iron to twelve feet, driver wedge to fifteen feet, and then you go maybe it's a par three and you go six iron to twenty five feet, nestle nestle the ball up close. You've had three pars in a row and you struck everything out in the middle. There is, I, I genuinely, having, we both played sport and I played a high level of cricket, there is no greater feeling in sport than that run of three or four holes where you just pure it out the middle and everything feels so easy. Obviously, then I'm going to push one 50 yards right and then 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 fat one trying to get it back in and, and then you're back down to earth. But no, you're, there's no better feeling, is there? Yeah, exactly. And, then, and so that's it, right? The, it, sometimes for some players, it happens for a whole round or two. For, for me, it's a couple of holes <laughs> where it just feels easy. And then, it, and then you lose it again and you think, but I, it felt so easy. So how do I get back there? Um, but that, so that was, that's what the company was founded on. Carsten had his idea for a putter. He built his idea for a putter. Um, and he started going out and trying to show it to people. And he was able to go out on, I mean, one of the very early people he showed it to was Arnold Palmer, who his first putters were made out of brass, which is really soft. And Arnold Palmer hit a couple, dented the face and said, I'm not playing that, it's dented. And, and I've seen that putter, the one that Arnold Palmer dented. So that's how far back it goes. That was 1959 when he started the company. And no one else was doing anything like that. No one was really applying engineering to golf. And, you know, the putters started to get reasonably popular. And then when it really took off was when he did, developed the answer putter, which forever, I mean, if you've seen anybody on tour putting, it was usually some sort of copy of the answer putter. Yeah, like I say this all the time when people talk about Scotty putters, you know, they talk about, so basically outside of mallets, about 85% of tour putter, putters on tour are a derivation of that old, that original answer design. Because it works so well. And he came up with that in 1966. So it's been around for a long time. 
um, great year. Antipodas invented England win the World Cup. I mean, what more could you want out of a year? What a, su- what a superb year. <laughs> but, but it has the same principles where it, it only has a single face, doesn't have a bag, but it, you know, it's got the mask sort of concentrated down and in the heel and toe. It has amazing balance to it. It just, the reason it stood the taste of time, test of time is because it works for so many players. That's what really started to take things off. But he also applied the same in, in irons, and his first irons were blades where he was machining bits out of the middle. He actually, and which is a very expensive way to do it, but it was the only way he could at the time. So the, the early ping irons were blades where they'd machine bits out of the middle to spread the mass. And then eventually. That's, that's sounds labor intensive. <laughs> it is, yeah. So that's why he pioneered investment casting for golf. Like he didn't invent investment casting but the, the big benefit of investment casting is you you basically are pouring molten metal into a into a mold into the shape into the shape you want it to be you can make more exotic shapes back in the day forging was you can make anything you like as long as it's a forged muscle muscle back blade casting can make perimeter weighted irons again spreading the mass increasing moment of inertia making them more forgiving and and he needed to use casting to do that so that's why all ping irons were cast at that point these days it's a lot muddier that you can make pretty cool shapes using forging techniques and we make our our new iron that's coming out in the spring has it's forged but you know it has a cavity back to it and and we can choose also to make cast irons out of soft metals and, and make them feel really soft we can make a blade casting if we want so these days you can kind of make what you like with forging and casting, but back in the day, that's what Carson was doing. And so he, he was an engineer at heart. I mean, he was also a good salesman. He had years in the field, you know, he was a salesman before he started a ping. And so he knew how to sell the product. He knew how to work with tour players and, and, and get them to test it. But he was an engineer at heart and his son, um, John A. Solheim, who was our CEO for, about 30 years after Carsten passed away, he's an engineer. And then his son, John K. Solheim, who's our current CEO, my boss, he's an engineer too. The whole Solheim family are, are engineers. And, and I think that's what makes us a bit unique. We're a family-owned company, still owned by the Solheim family. Almost all of the Solheim family work at Ping. Um, it feels very much like a family because it is. Um, but, but ultimately, everything comes down to the engineering. So we're not you know, we don't invest as much as others in, in the marketing side, but we tell our story as engineers. That's why they put me on podcasts and, and things like that, because <laughs> that's who we are, which is, which is kind of fun. I mean, for, for a scientist, it's really fun, but that's, that's why things you've, you've taken that to a different stage as well, though, haven't you? Because like you're one of the few manufacturers of your own shaft that stands up against the shaft guys. I put put that really poorly, but obviously everyone's got their own stock shafts, but you are one of the few firms where your stock shafts actually are right up there with the shaft specialist. And you see a lot of players on tour that play ping gear, still using a ping shaft. You don't see that. I'm not not expecting you to berate your, 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 your um, compatriots, other firms, but you don't see tailor made tight list um, Callaway using their stock shafts, but you do see that a lot with ping. What did you do in the shaft world? Because you're you're engineers, you've got perimeter weighting, all that history there, but it felt like, how do I put this out being, like I'm taking a mick. It felt like you guys like 
a bit like Carson with the very first putter. I think we can do this just as well as you, if not better. It felt like you did that with the shaft. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we've just, we've always felt like we're, we're, we're making and selling the whole golf club. Obviously the shaft and the grip is a big piece of that. Um, and we just want to make the entire golf club the best it can possibly be. And it's the, the tr- tough thing is there is just a conception out there that, you know, companies like us, stock shafts are not great. You just kind of make them cheap. And, and that's never been the case for us. We, we've been super involved in everything about our shaft design and our shaft science. I mean, I remember for a long time, my early days of ping, our shafts were, um, designed or at least designed in partnership by Marty Jertsen, who's now our VP of fitting and performance. And he's pretty well known around the industry, you know, played in a few majors, has designed a lot of our like most iconic clubs. And now he runs our fitting and performance. You know, he was heavily involved with shaft design. We've had a whole team devoted to shaft design science. We built, we have our own motion capture system that we funded and, and, own the code to it's called our focal system that's genuinely the best measurement system in the whole of golf and in large part that was to understand what the shaft's doing during the swing because it measures the whole swing and what happens when you're in the transition from the backswing to the downswing so that we could understand shafts as well as anyone and more recently we actually um our director of shafts john oldenburg he was the the head guy designing shafts at Olderler for 20 years. Um, and then more recently, LA Golf Shafts and, and now with us. So we have one of the best shaft designers in the industry working out ping, designing our shafts. We, uh, it, it annoys me when people call it the engine of the club. It's not the engine of the club, but it is very important. And a bad shaft can take a good head and mess up the results. You know, a good shaft can't take a bad head and suddenly make it amazing. But, but having the wrong shaft in your club can really hamper you from playing good golf. And, and so for us, it's just, it's a natural fit that we design the shafts as well as the heads. You're one of the few that actually manufacture all your own shafts as well, aren't you? You got, is that right? We work with, we work with partners in, in Asia. So we, you know, we, they, they're designed specifically to our specs. They're designed specifically in partnership with us. It's not a, Hey, someone else designed it and, and, it's made for paying it's it's our shaft the same as it's own. we don't actually have our own shaft factory but you but what it means you got that design specific specific to you yeah. working with manufacturer which is which is great and i think so i i play um i play sub 70 irons sorry mate i play sub 70 irons but I play the um I play the ping four thirty and the ping four thirty the ping four thirty um two and f- two and three hybrid and I play the ping glide two point wedges like just I remember te- I remember messaging you about maybe about two years ago when that four thirty came out maybe two and a half three years ago I sent you a message going is the, does this club conform? Cause it feels like I'm cheating. And, and you said, are you hitting it off the toe? The, where are you hitting out? I went everywhere. And you went, is it going straight? I went, yeah. And you went, what more do you want? <laughs> like, like, what more? And, it, and it does feel that for me, and like, I think you look around and that you talk to a lot of golfers. I talk to a lot of friends. I play a lot of golf that there are, there's a mixture of, there's a mixture of manufacturers dotting around everyone's bags. But I do see that more of my 
more of my friendship group and more of the people I play with now do tend to have a ping driver. The irons are mixed and match everyone has everybody. There do seem to be more ping drives, more ping hybrids around. And for a company that was heavily irons and heavily putters in the mind of the, if you'd said 20 years ago, name me the three or four most prolific driver manufacturers. I don't think ping would have been in the social, social consciousness as that, but it does feel like it is now. And, that must make you proud to see how that's, that, that that change has taken place. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think like you mentioned, we were a company that was founded as a putter company. And, and I think in the height of the I2 days, you would have said we were an irons company and we absolutely dominated the world of irons in the I2 days. Um, now our strongest area is metalwoods. And I, I, I would still stand by, we make amazing irons, we make amazing wedges and putters, but, but you're right. And the thing, the thing with Metalwoods is if you get the G430 and you go out and play with your friends and you're now hitting it, you know, places on the golf course you weren't hitting it before, they notice that very quickly, probably more quickly than, than other clubs in the bag necessarily. You know, the something like your putter, the, the results speak for themselves over time, but it builds up over time. But with the driver, you can see it on the first round if someone suddenly gained 10 yards. And, now and it's also the dispersion. That's that's yeah. the big thing. Everyone, everyone in my group hits it sort of between two twenty five and two sixty, more near the two twenty five range. But the, it's the ping. I had the four ten. No, I had the four twenty. Is it four twenty? The red one. Four ten was the red one. Four ten was the red one. Four ten, and then the the, the 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 and I think the thing that I noticed with both of them and that that. My brother-in-law's got one, a good dozen or so players I play with. It's that dispersion. You can hit it off of center and you can be a little bit wrong side of it. And the dispersion's so much better. How, I don't expect you to be able to explain to everyone how that works, but what is the concept behind how you're able to get that dispersion down? What is the thinking and how? Yeah, I mean, the simplest one is we go back to the moment of inertia. That, that with a driver, it's, it's the lightest head in the bag. So it's the one where you have to work the hardest to spread the mass. I mean, I know people look at it and go, it's really big. But it's only a it's only a 200-gram head versus your putter, which is 350 grams, or your wedge, which is 290 grams. So you have to work that much harder. Every gram that you can spread out makes a big difference. And it also has to withstand the highest forces in the bag. You swing it the fastest. So that's why we use titanium. It's extremely strong. It's extremely light. Like the light becomes that much more important. That's why we use, you know, carbon fiber. We, we've been judicious about how we use that because carbon fiber itself is very strong and light, but then you've got to glue it somehow to the titanium. So you end up adding some weight back in. Uh, 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 John Asolheim, our previous CEO, made a great comment uh, in one of our meetings recently where he said, we're in the business of like moving weight around, which is which is a lot of what we do. We're like basically trying to figure out how do you move grams of weight around a golf club and still have it, you know, perform, you know, withstand your 90, 100, 110 mile an hour golf swing but give you the best possible results when you miss hit it. So moment of inertia is the number one. There's a few other things we do, you know, exactly where you place the center of mass makes a difference. You know, where the sweet spot of the club is. What are the aerofoils doing? Tell me about that because I love them. I actually use them to line, line up and I like them and I love the matte finish, but 
talk to you about the aerofoils because I think that a few people have said, oh, well, what can they do? And again, I don't expect a, uh, a mathematician who is the VP of Ping to be able to make break it down in, in, in too quickly, but they're a fairly unique oh, feature. It was a fun, it was a fun project. It was one that I was involved in pretty heavily in early in my pink career. So it's that it's been going that long. They're called turbulators and what they do, they're for aerodynamics. The quick version, if you don't want to get into the science is they basically help you swing the club just a little bit faster because a, a golf club is not a very aerodynamic shape. Um, you know, if you want to make it something that you can swing fast, you don't put a big blunt face on it. You make it shape more like a bullet. But then, you especially can- if you come from here and then cast it over the top and try and drag it back round. <laughs> no, so so actually, the the drag on the head of the club makes a difference. I mean, we're not talking ten miles an hour of swing speed, but we're talking two, three, four miles an hour of swing speed. If from a really poorly designed aerodynamic driver to a really well designed. And, and as it as it turns out, those turbulators are a way to they basically they basically um, help the airflow stay attached to the club. You don't you don't get such a big wake. I think everyone's familiar with the idea of a wake on a boat. Like if you watch a boat going through the water, you have this wake. That's an area of um, it's it, you know it's an area where the, there's a, like a lower pressure and it's kind of sucking the the boat or in our place the club back. What you want is to keep the flow, the airflow attached to the crown and the sole of the club as much as possible and reduce the size of the wake and you get lower aerodynamics. And turbulators do that without us having to do something funky to the whole shape of the club. So it's kind of it's kind of aerodynamics for free because we're not really adding any weight up there. We're not changing the overall shape of the club, but we're getting better aerodynamics. So the difference between them being on and off is about a mile an hour of swing speed which is about three yards on every shot you hit. So that's part of your distance right there is the, is the turbulators. But it, it enables us to keep with other things that help us keep the mass in a place we want to keep it. And they look cool. I like them. I think they look cool. It's a bit of a in the eye of the beholder. When we first did them, we agonized over whether people would be okay with looking at them because golfers are usually quite traditional. And putting these little ridges on the crown of the club, some people hated them. But over time, people have decided they're okay, mostly. Um, I, I think they look good, and I think they help you line it up. They help show you where the middle of the face is. But they're, they're there for physics. That's the real reason they're there is for the physics. Well, talking about over time, people decide it's okay. Let's move on to the hot-button topic that everyone loves to discuss, which is live and live golf. And... Obviously, with Callaway announcing that they're going to be sticking with John as he come as he comes across, I think it's noticeable for me, having been to some live events, that Ping stuck by pretty much all their players, and you even provided um, resource the tour truck for Live London and a few other things. And it's I don't expect you to draw an opinion on behalf of the company about Live. That's not what I mean. But what I'm saying is that it's great to see that so many people have, have been using Ping and. I think what is a great indicator of your product is how many free agents on on live went to ping, including Bryson and a few others for irons. And I think for me, having been there, it's you're probably the most used club manufacturer. Yeah, um, I would say so. And and I'll I'll stay on, you know, safe, safe turf as I give opinions on this, but, but we're, we're a big relationship company and most of the ping players have been ping players since they were kids and have stuck with us a long time. And if you look at the, the guys, 
who went on to the live tour from ping, you know, these are big, long relationships. Bubba has been a ping player forever. Louis Oosthuizen has been a ping player forever. Lee Westwood's been a ping player forever. I mean, even the younger guys like Jaco Neiman, I mean, he grew up, I don't think he's ever played anything other than ping. So for us, it was a relatively easy decision to stick with them in terms of they're part of the family. We are family company. They're part of the family. Yeah. You know, it's caused us some challenges of just figuring out what does that look like? It's hard to plan out the next three or four years. I mean, if anyone knows exactly what the lift tour is going to look like three years from now, if they could let me know, that would be really helpful, right? We, it is disruptive, but if there's people playing professional golf and they're paying people, then we'll still support them. And like you said, we have a, a guy who's been supporting most of the events and where it's changed the game a bit. And it was already going this way. The amount of money in professional golf, a lot more players, it makes sense for them to be free agents that what we could pay them as a company maybe isn't as big as what they can make. You know, if Liv's offering you 500 million, then whatever we could offer is nothing compared to that. Um, not that I, I was really surprised by outside of maybe some of the really top players. So my view is no WGR. I think it's a defunct system, but let's just take OWGR for the minute. I was really surprised by how little players between say 80 and 200 no WGR actually get paid by by manufacturers. I don't mean just ping, I'm talking in general. I was actually quite surprised that getting the setup in your bag right with the clubs you want to have a better chance at winning is a financially better decision than taking an amount that that people were getting paid to be a club representative. And I think that's what you, you, as you're saying, like there's so much money around now, pick the best clubs for you. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, let's just stick with the, you know, on the PGA tour, the elevated events. If you, if it's, if winning an elevated event is worth three and a half million, um, and it is, it's similar on the, on the live tour. That's if you think you can make decisions, about you know what's in your bag to help you win that event that's probably worth more than you're going to get from a lot of endorsements unless you're one of the top top guys um you know that said our job is to like convince people that like you can stick with ping and know that you're going to have 14 clubs in your bag that are perfect for you and, and there's still plenty of players that that like to do that but uh yeah, i think it's it's a good time to be a player you definitely um you know you've got choices you've got you know, you're not going to struggle to look after your family if you can make it onto the top tours. It's it's different. You know, it's a lot harder work down in the mini tours, right? But uh, we believe in our product and we think, hey, look, stick with us and, and you'll make sure that you, you get pink clubs that you like all the way through the bag. But the reality is a lot more players are picking and choosing. They already were before Live. I think I counted up on the, on the last Live event. There were as at least one pin club in over 30 bags out of 48, which was great. So that was cool. Yeah. I, 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 when I was at, when I was in London, I think it was 20 players either had you as their metal wood setup or part of their metal wood setup. So like a hybrid or, or like a draw or a utility iron or whatever it might be. I, I, I know a utility iron is a metal wood set, but you know what I mean? It's that, it's that long club. It's that hybrid and that's in that same family. I was like, that's, that's not a small amount of representation. Not at all. Yeah. So that's been, you know, I think probably just like everyone else. I'm personally as a golf fan, just curious to see where it goes. You know, like, 
it'll certainly make the majors interesting this year as that's, those will be the one set of events where everyone comes together, but who knows where things are going to go in the next couple of years. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone does. You're in a position where I'd never ask or draw an opinion from you that, that would be inflammatory. But I think we can all agree that the last two years in golf has been head scratching and different at times in certain decisions. And I think, I think I speak for most golf fans that whether you're pro PGA, pro live, pro whatever, that it'd be really nice in the next three to six months to see things kind of start to work out on how it's going to go forward and just move on with golf a bit. <laughs> are you going to, are you going to dance together or not? Let's just make our mind up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. Like with any sport, I think most, most of the fans just want good opportunities to see the best players playing in the best format, whatever you think that is. Right. But, we can argue about what's the best formats and what's the best way to arrange it, but that's what people just want to see their favorite players competing against the best. And one way or another, we'll get, we'll get back there. So the one big name, I suppose that came over to you in all of that was Bryson, the the mad scientist, as some people refer to him. I, I, I spent time with Bryson in, in, in London, walked with him for nine holes, chatting to him and he had the ping, he had the ping irons in his bag. So, are you now one length iron manufacturers or was that, was that, was that, was that a new, was that a new thing for you? We, it wasn't totally new. We've, we've done a few sets. Um, so, uh, Bryson worked with Chris Como, the coach for a long time. And then Chris is a ping ambassador and a, a good friend of mine. And so we've, we've had some kind of relationship with Bryson for a while in terms of just knowing who he is and providing some advice to his coach from here, from here and there. But, you know, he's fun to work with. He, he thinks deeply about his game. He works a ton. He's got tons of ideas. Um, he's not willing to hit thousands of balls to try out these ideas. So for, for engineers, it's kind of fun to, to work with him. You know, the one length lines have been around in one shape or another for a while. You know, there's some challenges taking a set that were designed to not be one length and make them one length. But our team did an amazing job. You know, we, we build our irons with lots of, weight adjustment flexibility and we can you can do a lot with custom grinding and this and that and so we took our our regular set of our i-series irons and made them into one length clubs for him and the wedges and the wedges were great for him it's it's cool to see i mean he's a free agent we're not um you know we're not contracted with him but if if he's interested to work with us we'll always be happy to do that no, I think as always, you're very, you're very erudite and you speak well on that. And it's a case of he's chosen his bag. He's got different clubs in there, but he seems very happy. And since he's been using you as irons and wedges and, and the, the, the other brand, I can't remember their name for, for his driver, he seems to be very, very happy and ultimately very competitive. It was sort of that turnaround period. And so that was fantastic. And I think it's testament to the, to what you guys are doing that you, you have people want to work with you when, when you're not offering them money, they still want to work with you. And that, that's, that's a, that's a really, really, really good indicator. Um, I'm conscious that you're in the UK to work. Isn't it great? You're in the UK. I'm not having to do, I'm not having to do this at some silly time at eight in the evening. It is. Yeah. I've just sat here in our, uh, we have a little research team in Loughborough, which was set up a couple of years ago. So I, I come over here three or four times 
three or four times a year. But, you know, most of our engineering is in Phoenix, but now we have some engineers here in the UK as well, which is uh, which is really fun. Well, you're here. You've got work to do. So let me try and draw this to a close. People like to hear about our guests and some of their experiences. So you've had a chance to play some fantastic courses. What are your top three courses you've ever played? Oh, goodness. That's a tough one. Well, okay. So we'll try to keep it somewhat simple. Old course St. Andrews. Um, I played there for seven years. I didn't play it all the time. I, I played all the courses in St. Andrews a lot and tried to keep the old course slightly special and not play it every day. Now that I don't live there, that seems like a terrible life decision. But um, <laughs> I genuinely think you could play St. Andrews for 50 years and not get bored of them. That's that's why they stood the test of time. And, and the old course is just wonderful. I, I, a shout out to the new course as well, though. I love the new course. Um, I did get a chance to play Pine Valley a couple of years ago. Um, absolutely incredible place. Um, every hole is memorable. I, it just wasn't something I thought I'd ever get a chance to do. And, and, and through a friend, um, got to play there for a weekend and, and that was, so Pine Valley was absolutely amazing. I'm not exactly surprising anyone with that vote. The other one, which I just thought was probably rounding out my top three was, uh, the course at, uh, Grand Cercier where they host the, um, the open in, in Switzerland every year. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Is that the Omega classic course? Yeah. 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 So Crans Montana or Grand Cercier that, you know, halfway up a mountain in Switzerland overlooking the Alps. It, the setting's amazing, but the course is actually really, really good fun too. And, and those would be my, my top three. It's also incredible when you think that that course it cannot be accessed for any form of maintenance for four months of the year. Yeah, I don't even want to think how short their golf season is because, I mean, it must take them a few months of kind of preparing the course. Yeah. So I, I read I read that it's four and a half months to five months of being able to be used, that course. Yeah, well... Which is savage. <laughs> it is, and, but it was amazing. Uh, absolutely wonderful place to just visit as well. Um, best... Um, best player that you've had the privilege of working with just being up close and marveling like you've been around all the best players in the world and way more than I have um but you've just stood there and gone is it that easy really yeah okay that's uh that's, you know I'm gonna reinterpret it slightly because like you said I'm, I'm very lucky and I've had a chance to see most of the best players in the world up close and, and obviously the, the ping folks I've worked with a lot. The one who maybe would surprise people a bit who just, I remember just blowing me away by how, just how amazing his ball striking was, was Cabrera, Angel Cabrera. And, and he won, he won two majors. Um, he has that interesting stat that I think he won more majors than non-major PGA Tour events in his career. But his ball striking was unbelievable. I, one quick story. I remember we're taking, we've, we've got him on the range of ping and we're taking some data. Or we've got a prototype that we're showing him and we've got, you know, we're trying to take track man data. So we're getting the radar and he's, he's aimed at a different point on the range than we're after. And so we're trying to very politely, Hey, Mr. Cabrera, do you think you could just, and 
we're working through his interpreter because he doesn't speak a lot of English and he's just kind of, he goes, what, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind aiming at that, that flag, it's about 320 yards down the range, that little red flag, that's your target line. If you could aim at that, we'd be great. He goes, okay. He's hitting drivers off the deck, by the way, at this point. Hits his next shot, smashes it. As, as you do, just just casually sitting drivers off the deck just to... Yeah. Smashes it into the flag. I mean, the target this big, right? He hits the flag on the full, and he just turns around and goes, is that okay, boss? <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> that works. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I wanted, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, that that is an answer. I suppose did take me by surprise. It was obviously you got you got Bubba, the great shot shaper. You got Louis, who whose timings like silk. You've got all those players, and that's that's. A, I, I think that'll be take everybody by surprise, and that's a great. That's, that's why a great I story. Favorite, of, of the, you know, the, there's been so many good ball strikers. Um, we've had a lot that's of so, and different. Like this is what this is what I tell people about. I said I can't imagine. I was, I was talking to to John. Who, I said I've got you coming on the podcast. And I said, oh, we're talking about club manufacturing. I said, can you imagine trying to manufacture a golf club that works the same for the same swing as Louis, Bubba, and Tony Fino? Like, talk about three. Tony takes the club back about four inches. <laughs> Bubba's looping it anywhere he wants, trying to shape it. And Louis's like a metronome. And you somehow have got to design a club that works for all of them. Isn't. I, obviously, it's the point of impact that matters. They get it back to square. I know that. But the point is that golf manufacturing must, at times you must go, our club works in the hands of all of these people. <laughs> it it, it it's almost defies belief. And, and that's about as good an advert for club fitting as you could possibly imagine. I mean, you. so you, you know for a fact that all those players are playing vastly different, like fitted setups of their clubs. And you're not as good as we are not as good as them. And we think it's fine just to buy clubs off the rack and not get them tuned to our swing. It, getting a decent club fitting is so important. Like the pros get their clubs tweaked every week and they're all amazing at golf. And so my biggest advice to anyone out there is find the best club fitter you can. That'll be worth a ton to your golf game and by paying, obviously. Yeah. You, you've got two, you've got two things there. You've got by ping and, uh, um, Two quick last ones before I let you go. Um, if you've got the choice, you've got 90 minutes spare, which I know you never have 90 minutes spare, but let's imagine that you did somehow. Your wife and two lovely daughters are off somewhere for a couple of days and uh, there was a power cut at the factory and you had to go home. I've, I've tried to, I'm trying to engineer you some way of getting you 90 minutes free because I know with your life you don't. Are you going to go to the range or are you going to play nine holes on your own? Oh, I'd, I'd be nine holes on my own all, all day long. I, I've learned to appreciate the range and how, how you can make that fun and interesting, but I grew up much more in the let's go play golf camp. Yeah, that's that's the right answer. Only one pro out of all the people we've spoken to has gone nine holes. Some people said, depends how I feel. Some people have said range. Eugenio Shikara is the only person who went, nope, Straight nine holes. Don't don't want to play on the range. I'll do the range if I have to. It's it's bizarre. It, it's it's just one pro. Uh, people said I'll play nine. I'll I'll play on my own. Depends how I feel. But only one pro has gone flat out. I'm going to have nine holes. Isn't that amazing? Like that. That I thought more than would just want to play golf. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I suspect the bubble would say nine holes. At least when I've talked to him, you know, he's definitely a on the course kind of golfer from, from my memory. But I, you know, I think if, if you're a professional, you've probably spent so many hours on the range. I, I'm not a professional. I, I don't grind on the range as much. I, I get to do player tests of thing, which is really fun. Um, but playing the sports always been more fun than practicing for all sports I play for me. Oh, and also for me watching, like I, I've never, und- I like watching sport, but I've never understood people who, oh, I, I can't, I can't play golf, mate. England are playing football in a first, the in a group match at the world cup. I'm like, what? You're going to turn down playing sport to watch it. Never understood that either, but maybe that's just me. So we finished our round of golf and you've got a choice. What meal are you going to go for? What drink are you going to go for? What's your post golf beverage and meal of choice? Oh, goodness me. Um, post golf. See, I would normally always say a curry. I don't know that a curry is like exactly what I think right after a round of golf, but um, I, I'd probably just get, you know, go get a club sandwich or something and have a nice, especially now I'm back here, a nice English bitter. That's something I miss when I'm in America. I, America has a lot more good beers than it used to, but you don't—they don't make the English-style beers. Um, no, you don't get a proper bitter, do you, or a proper ale? So All IPAs. That's something I—that's something I miss. Do they, do they do half and half chips and rice in America with a curry or not? Is that still—is that, that's a British thing? I think that's a British thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> Right. To, to our viewers who are like, are they going to go into more British and American stuff? No, we're not. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful. Um, it's been amazing seeing my friend from my hometown go from studying solar flares to being the vice president of one of the biggest names in all of golf. Um, Stas, it sounds really proud of you. What an amazing achievement. Um, and just think that what you guys do over there is fantastic so thank you for coming on the show I really appreciate it thank you buddy thank you looking forward to we'll go out and play 18 holes ourselves at some point thank you to Mr Paul Wood the VP of Engineering over at Ping for that fascinating interview I'm, I'm as you know as we're absolute golf geeks so anything like that I absolutely lap it well played to Ben as well on a cracking interview you can find that over on our YouTube channel as well if you want it with the old moving pictures. You can check that out. It's a separate video within our YouTube feed. So until the next episode, enjoy your golf, look after yourselves, and just look after each other. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>